Scanning the environment, seeing the signs, interpreting cues, and making sense of them is something so completely innate in nature, wholly native to migratory animals, and so hardwired in their instinctive behavior and decision-making that it prompts the question, why do human beings so frequently fail to go higher? McDonald's essay highlights something critically important. The best way to survive a crisis is to watch for it and see it coming before it's too late. It is about catching sight of the threat soon enough to avert it or contain the worst and giving yourself and your organization the maneuverability to prepare, mitigate damage, and plan efficiently for recovery. This is the first phase of crisis management. Welcome to The Ripple Effect, the podcast that takes you on a journey through the minds of work and faculty. I'm your host, Dan Loney, and in each episode, we'll be diving deep into the inspiration behind the groundbreaking research that Wharton professors have conducted and exploring how their findings resonate with the world today. We'll be covering a diverse range of topics, bringing you the latest insights and knowledge that you can apply to your life and to work. So get ready to dive into new ideas with The Ripple Effect. Well, and great to have joining us today, Wharton Dean Erica James, who is a co-author of the book, The Prepared Leader, Emerge from Any Crisis More Resilient Than Before. Dean James, great to have you with us today. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Dan. Happy to be here. Thank you. So obviously, we've all gone through crisis a lot in the last few years. How do you view the, the, the kind of the most important components of a leader dealing with crisis right now? So there are five things that I think people need to think about in dealing with the crisis. Typically, when we think of crisis management, we think of once something has happened, what do we do at that point? So it's sort of the response to an event. But as leaders, we think in, we need to think about uh, this notion of signal detection. What are we seeing in the environment that might warn us that our organization is vulnerable to something? We then need to prepare or plan for that potential reality. Then, in those circumstances where we can't prevent something from happening, we do have to respond when we find ourselves in reaction mode. The fourth thing is to think about business recovery. At some point, the crisis will come to some sort of end, and we've got to get our organizations back on track and recover from what we've just experienced. And then lastly, there's the learning from the crisis. How do we, do we take time to stop and reflect on what we've just experienced what can we learn to make us a better uh, organization going forward, to make us more capable of dealing with the next threat or uh, prevent the next threat from happening? How has that played out for you personally, especially considering when you came to Wharton, we were obviously right in the midst of the crisis. I mean, that's a unique component in a person's career to take over such a, an important role in in the time of a crisis like that. Right. So, Dan, what you're describing is my Joining Wharton in July of 2020, which was just a few months into the into the pandemic, uh, the school at that time was completely remote. I moved to a new city, started a new role, interacted with my colleagues whom I had never met before for at least six to nine months, all on Zoom, never having met anyone in person or spent any time on campus. So I think the thing that I needed to think about was what can I do to establish myself as a leader? Uh, and as someone who was trustworthy, that they could feel confident getting behind as I'm leading this organization that I literally knew very little about because I just had no time or experience with with Wharton before coming here. And so I think focusing on building those relationships, even though they were over Zoom, uh, 
identifying ways that would allow me to have credibility, that they could trust me in some ways. Those were the important things that I needed to do uh, because I was limited to that. I think it's also interesting because we've had a time where there's been a lot of pivots. And I think a lot of people have pivoted coming out of the pandemic, especially in leadership, in, in, in making changes and adapting to what is kind of a new normal. Right. And it's really important to use the phrase new normal. Oftentimes when people are going through a crisis, what they think about is how do I get back to normal? How do we go back to the way things were? And what I always encourage people to think about is if you're going back to something, you have to recognize that the environment, the world, the competitors around you have all been moving forward. And so if you think about going back, then you're setting yourself and your organization up for failure. So the thing is, how do we think about what does the new environment cause us to need to do differently? And this is also where learning really comes into play, because if we reflect on how we are a different organization, if we reflect on the new skills that we've gained, if we reflect on the experiences that we've had, we're more likely to envision a different future that we can drive towards rather than going back to the way things were. So when businesses are going through, quote unquote, crisis, I know you talk about this in the book, about the importance of the crisis leadership team of being able to have that that core together as well. Yes. So many companies do not a priori identify a team of people that will carry the organization under unusual circumstances. We tend to rely on our direct reports, who is our head of marketing, who is our general counsel, who's our head of HR, right? Because that's the team that we typically work with. But that team isn't always the right team to lead an organization through a crisis. Many of those roles and responsibilities are necessary, but there are also things you have to consider that you don't have to consider in the day-to-day running of a business. So building the team means identifying a set of skills or competencies or experiences that people have that might not exist on your team of direct reports. Are there common mistakes that leaders make when they're in time of crisis? So the biggest common mistake is actually part of human nature. So go back to your five-year-old self and you get caught doing something you're not supposed to do, right? And the first thing you say is, it wasn't me, right? We immediately want to deny our involvement in something bad. That carries with us even into our adulthood. So when we experience a crisis, we assume the crisis is something bad. We don't want to be associated with it. So we tend to engage in avoidance behavior or denial behavior, all of these things that disassociate us from that event. And that's really problematic because that's time and energy that we could be using to uh, identify the appropriate communication and narrative that we want to put around this. That could be time and attention that we could be doing something more uh, proactive to help address the situation as opposed to denying. So that's, I think, the one common thing that many leaders engage in. Well, and certainly then when you talk about what we went through with the pandemic, but it, it obviously plays out in a variety of different potential crises, is the element of stress. Because w- when you have this, I think there's a lot within your body, within your mindset that just amps up the level of stress that you deal with. Absolutely. So in the research, and this is long-standing research, what we find is that in times of stress or times of threat, when people feel particularly vulnerable, um, they engage in something called threat rigidity. So there's an external threat 
we instinctively, our body becomes rigid. We become more narrow in our thinking. We become less creative. We become more restricted to the people with whom we're going to interact. So all of that restriction, that rigidity, then prevents us from being able to really engage in effective problem solving. So with COVID, it was obviously something we had never gone through before. And I think that element of the unknown in terms of a type of crisis is probably something that's a challenge for a lot of leaders, is it not? Absolutely. And I mean, that is the core definition of a crisis. It's something that we've not experienced before. It's something that we don't have the resources or the experience or or some guidebook with the answers and what we should do differently. So um, crises are unique circumstances. And because they are unique, because we've not experienced them, we don't know what to do. So most often we're making things up as we go, which is fine, uh, but we've got to always sort of reflect on, was that most recent decision the right decision? If yes, then let's keep going. If not, we need to pivot and, and try something else. So there's this constant feedback loop and experimentation that's happening when we're trying to address a crisis. But isn't there also just the, the learning from going through that crisis so that whether it's the same thing, same type of crisis happening down the road or something different, you have that experience, you have that knowledge so that you can be better prepared for that next time. So you would think, in theory, yes, that's how it's supposed to work. But what oftentimes happens is we so want to be finished with the crisis. It takes a lot out of you. You're exhausted. The notion of going back and reflecting and taking those lessons learned that they can be applied to a future event is less likely to happen because most of us don't invest in the learning process, which is that fifth stage that I, that I described. So yes, in theory, we should be able to have gone through an experience once, taken those lessons, learned from it so that the next time it happens, we're better prepared. But too many of us don't go through that after-action review is what they call it in the military. I think a lot of times in companies, employees and managers, they expect their leaders to be prepared and, and they hope that they are prepared. But can we actually quantify the value of having a prepared leader? I, I mean, I, I think it's it, it's probably unique to especially what's what's happened with COVID the last few years. Right. So, I mean, it would be a fascinating study trying to identify what are the variables for which we could quantify preparation in, in our leaders. But one of the things that we know, for example, is that many crises cost a lot of money, whether it's in legal fees, whether it's in, you know, damage control, all sorts of things. So you can quantify by looking at, um, you know, how much a particular crisis costs. I just came back from Maui, for example. I was on Maui when the fires broke out. And you see every day the escalating cost in terms of the human capital, the death toll is rising every day for a period of time. You can see the escalating costs in terms of the financially, how much this is going to cost Maui. And, and so those are metrics by which we can determine the cost of a crisis. It's unclear yet how we determine how effective a particular leader was because it's a one-off situation, right? We don't necessarily have a control group in those situations, but it would be worthwhile exploring that. So we're obviously in an age right now where technology has such a, a huge impact on our lives. I wonder how much 
and and crises then I think also play in with what we're going through with uh, the impact of hacking and that impact on business. Uh, that the element of technology can I think assist the leader in terms of mitigating a lot of these problems as well, right? Perhaps. So we would hope so. It is a tool that can be used for exactly that purpose. Sometimes people use technologies in ways that are actually more damning than helpful. If they use social media, for example, in ways to cast revenge or to dis, you know, spew uh, antagonism or frustration or anger or hostility for whatever has happened in that crisis, then that is not a very effective use of technology. And in fact, it could be more problematic. In the book that I wrote with my co-author, The Prepared Leader, we actually talk about it, a couple of examples where the CEO has um, you know, used technology, used social media and other platforms in ways that cost him his job and the organization a lot of, a lot of money. If we use technology for purposes of soliciting support and help and guidance and communicating what's happening on a day-to-day basis and those kinds of things, then yes, it absolutely is an effective tool. I've heard you talk about your co-author, Lynn Perry Wooten, Mm -hmm. and the importance she's kind of meant to you as a mentor in terms of your building up your career. For leaders in general, how important do you think it is to have that sounding board, that, that extra component to, to helping build your leadership skills? It's, it's a great question. It is so vitally important. So the, the, the notion that it's lonely at the top, there's a lot of truth to that, because primarily because there are so few people who can relate to what you are experiencing. Everyone else in the organization, when you are the president, when you are the CEO, when you are the dean, there's no one else within the organization that fully understands the scope and complexity of the work that you're doing. And then you add on top of that a crisis, you realize even more how alone you are. And so having someone else in another organization, in another field who understands that role, I think it's really invaluable. And and I guess that can kind of even go down the chain a little bit. It doesn't have to necessarily always be the C-suite, but think about middle-level management and and what that person as a leader at that level of the organization really relies on. That's absolutely true. So I say that we all have a sphere of control that we are responsible for, regardless of your title or role that you play. And in that regard, it can be debilitatingly lonely if there are not a network, if there's not a network of relationships that you have either within or outside of the organization with whom you can bounce ideas, with whom you can vent and be frustrated, and it's a safe space. How do you think then the dynamics of leadership have developed, but also potentially can change in the future, especially considering we're talking more and more about AI and the component that AI can can play. I mean, I saw a story the other day about how AI may eventually be able to give people life advice. And that that worries me a little bit, but but it, it makes me think about how far will AI kind of impact, you know, the business and, and even leadership to a degree? Yeah. I mean, honestly, at this point, no one knows. We can, we have the capability to produce technology and artificial intelligence to do just about everything. But at the end of the day, we are still human beings and there is no tool, there is no artificial intelligence that can replace what comes from human interpersonal contact and interaction. So the interpersonal support, the emotional support, the feedback 
all of those things that are really uh, human-inspired, I think will continue to actually will become more and more important and necessary and more valued in the organization. But, you know, five years from now, one year from now, as quickly as things are happening, we're going to see much more AI. Yeah. Uh, but I still believe that over time, the human, only those things that humans can do, the, the emotional side is going to become more important. Let me finish up with this. When you look now at, at your transition coming here to Wharton and having gone through this period of time, I've asked this of a lot of CEOs over the course of the last couple of years, is did what occur and what you went through as a leader tweak any of your mindset about leading the company? And, and have you seen that in in what your thought process is of what you want to do to lead Wharton moving forward? Have you seen elements of that? So what's interesting in my case is I didn't know Wharton before the pandemic, right? I came once it was already in a state of flux because of the external extenuating circumstances. Um, so my leadership coming into Wharton was informed by that reality. So if I were to say, hypothetically, would I be doing some of the things I'm doing now as Wharton's leader had the pandemic not happened? Maybe, but there are probably some things I'm doing now because the pandemic happened that that would not have been the case before. So yeah, we are all changed by having gone through the the pandemic. And even as a new leader coming in when the pandemic was first happening, uh, I am quite confident that my approach to leadership was informed by starting this role in, in the midst of a crisis. Great to have you in here today. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Thank you. Dean Erica James. The book, by the way, is The Prepared Leader, Emerge from Any Crisis More Resilient Than Before, uh, the book that she has uh, co-authored with Lynn Perry Wooten. Thank you for listening to The Ripple Effect. We hope you found this episode informative and engaging. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review so that we can continue to bring you the best insight from the Wharton School.